So let's give it up for your pastor. Don't you love Pastor Dennis and his beautiful wife? It's so, so great to be here with you guys. This is my lovely assistant, Jeannie, if you would give her a hand. I'm also married to her. So, uh, well, it's great to be with you this weekend. We, we, uh, we had a wonderful time with your couples. Uh, I speak in conferences and churches around the country and in different parts of the world. And uh, really a privilege to be able to be in uh, churches here in the area where we live. We live in Lee Summit, so it's, uh, it's always nice to be booked uh, closer to home and not have to fly that weekend. But I uh, loved your church for many years. I actually preached here under uh, Pastor Newby as well uh, back in the day. And so it's, uh, it's great to be back here at Crown Point. How many know God's got great things? Amen? Uh, we... Uh, uh, what, what we have chosen to do with our influence is to use it for those that don't really have much influence. We started an organization 17 years ago called Partnership International, and what I do is I speak in conferences and churches around the country, and then I use that influence and those relationships uh, to fuel our missions ministry. Uh, this year, we'll take 17 teams. Uh, we're working in Burundi, East Africa, uh, in Honduras, in uh, Haiti, in Jamaica, uh, Belize. Uh, we, we've just really started working heavily in the uh, reservation, uh, Apache Nation in Arizona. Uh, the poorest zip code in the country is in the Bronx. I was at a church there last week that actually your youth group will be a part of uh, three teams that are going to the Bronx with us. And then, uh, and then we're doing some work right here in the inner city of Kansas City. So I'll spend about 15 Sundays a year, about 90 days of my year total uh, doing missions work. My favorite quote of all time might be from John Bunyan. He said, you have not lived today until you've done something for someone who can never repay you. Now, I would encourage you, uh, if you haven't signed up for one of these trips, I think we need a few more for Jamaica. And again, it, you don't have to be skilled. You just have to be willing. And it's, it's worth it. How many have ever been on a mission trip before? And you know what we're talking about. That orphanage, uh, man, those kids will crawl inside of your heart. Uh, that orphanage was falling apart five years ago. They were about to go under, and teams have literally saved uh, that home. And your church has been a part of that, and now is going to be a part of it again. So thank you for your generosity. Um, this morning, I want to stick with the theme on relationships, and we're going to talk today around the topic. I've entitled it The Freedom of Forgiveness. Let's pray, and then we'll just jump in. Father, thank you again for this chance to uh, minister to your people. And we know that you want to do deep, restorative things this morning, and we know the power of your word to change lives, and we just pray, God, that would happen today, that you would use me, your servant, in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Well, everybody needs two things. Everybody needs the love of God, and everybody needs the love of God's people. I don't know if you realize this or not, but there's really only two things that are eternal. It is your relationship that you have with God. How I many you know that will last forever? And it's the relationship that you have with other believers in Christ. That's going to last forever. So you might as well look around and hopefully you like each other because you're going to be together forever, right? Uh, there's only two things that are eternal, and they're both in the realm of relationship. And a redeemed and a restored life, really, if you think about it, it begins and it ends with relationship. At the marriage conference, I, I said something that I'll repeat here this morning that I like to think of Christianity like this, like the cross. It's the vertical beam represents our relationship with God, and the horizontal beam represents our relationship with people. How many of you know that God died, or Christ died, so that he could redeem you back to your relationship with God, 
But aren't you glad that he didn't just stop with that? I know in my life, what he has done is he's healed the brokenness inside of me. So one, I am capable of having good relationships. And two, he has restored and redeemed all of those relationships in my life. He's made me relationally healthy. Aren't you glad that God redeemed him to your, you to himself, but also to one another as well? Your relationship with God and your relationship with one another. And really, if you think about about this, your relationship with God and your relationship with people, they are spiritually connected. When God restores you to himself, he always initiates a process of restoring you with the people that are around you. And God loves you too much to restore you in your spiritual life and leave you fractured in your relational life. So you cannot actively be right with God while you are actively wrong with man at the same time. And we're going to prove that to you this morning. I'm so glad that God restored me in this area. And it's really the work that he's doing in his church. We know in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that when those leaders that were in the upper room, about 300 of them, when they were in the upper room, the Bible says that when they were all together in one accord, everybody say one accord, you know what that means? It means extreme unity. I think what was happening during those days was not just strategy planning and prayer, but there was healing happening in relationships as well. And the Bible says when they all got together in unity, in other words, when there was perfect relational health among them, that is the day the Spirit of God fell. And that's the day that five, some theologians believe as many as 15 thousand people were added to the church in that single day. How many of you think the spirit of God in unity is attached, right? Uh, now, now that sounds uh, so easy, but it is really easy to get off track. In fact, relationships are one of the most complicated things that you will ever address in your own life because seeds of offense they are everywhere. It is so easy to get fractured relationally with someone and have that affect you spiritually. Uh, seeds of injustice can quickly grow into a forest of bitterness. How many of you have ever experienced that before? You know, I, um, I heard a story recently about a man who had been pulled over for speeding. Hopefully none of, none of you sped on your way to church today. Uh, my wife was driving, so I don't know what happened. Uh, but, but he got pulled over, and he began to tell the police officer the reason why he was in such a hurry. He had a long sob story. And finally, the officer said to him, just kind of roughly as he handed him the ticket, he said, save your sob story for the court. And he gave him the ticket. And, well, that same man who had got the ticket was actually an umpire at the local softball league. And just about two days later, he was umping a game, and, and that officer that gave him a ticket came walking up to the plate. They recognized each other and kind of smiled, and the officer said, how was your day in court? And the man said, well, let me put it this way, you better swing at everything. <laughs> I mean, you know, it feels good, right? You get me, I'm going to get you back. But the, the, the world, man, they will always hand you opportunities for bitterness because injustice is everywhere. It's one of the common bonds that we have. We all have faced injustice. Most of us have faced quite a bit of it. The enemy of your soul in this corrupt world system constantly baits you and attempts to fracture you in the area of relationships. One of my favorite verses on this topic is the Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 15. And it says, work at living with peace 
with everyone and work at living a holy life. You can see it right there in that one sentence. Work at living with peace at everyone, our horizontal relationships, and then live a holy life, our relationship with God. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out. Everybody say, watch out. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness... Actually, that phrase is used a couple of times in the Bible, grows up to trouble you. And then this last phrase is important, corrupting how many? Corrupting many. In other words, according to the scripture, now this is not a very good one. I didn't have much time last night when we got home, but I dug this up from my backyard. Uh, This is a root. So according to the scripture, whenever you decide that you are going to have bitterness or offense, you get one of these. You get a root of bitterness. Now, if I had more time, I could throw up pictures of crazy root systems and what have you. All I know is this was the smallest one that I could find that I was physically capable of pulling up. Anything even just a little bit bigger than this, and I couldn't pull it up with all of my strength, with all of my weight, I couldn't do it. I mean, you know, root systems are powerful, right? And according to the scripture, whenever you choose a bitter life, you get one of these systems, and it goes out, and it begins to corrupt not just you, but it actually corrupts everybody around you. In other words, bitter pastors, they produce bitter churches. Bitter parents, they produce bitter kids. If you're a bitter business, person, then probably everybody that's working with you, that's going to begin to corrupt those as well. That root system can flow throughout your entire life. Bitterness has reach. It corrupts. It destroys not just you, but according to the scripture, everyone around you. But the news gets even worse. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30 in the Message Bible says this. It says, a sound mind makes for a robust body, but runaway emotions corrode the bones. Bitterness is a runaway emotion. It's an emotion that we decide not to keep in check, but rather we allow it to grow in our lives. And according to the scripture, when that happens, you begin to corrode even your own bones. Now, I want to explore this for just a minute. Bitterness is not only an enemy to other people around you, but I don't know if you realize this or not, but bitterness, unforgiveness, runaway emotion, all that goes along with it, it's actually an enemy to you yourself. Bitterness tells the lie that your personal health and your spiritual health and your relational health, even your physical health, that it's not somehow connected, but God created you as a connected system. There's no way to have negative emotion in your life that remains unchecked, especially something that God explicitly tells us he doesn't want in our lives without it affecting us in a physical way. Probably one of my top five reads ever, and I read a lot, is by a guy named Dr. Don Colbert. Dr. Don, uh, probably 15 years ago, he wrote a book called Deadly Emotions. And he's a medical doctor, a Christian medical doctor who studies the effect of negative emotions like worry and anxiety and depression and anger and, of course, bitterness. And he studies those effects and what they have actually on our physical body. He gives so much incredible medical information and real-life examples about how uh, your physical health and your emotional health and your spiritual health are ultimately all connected. One particular story stood out to me about a lady named Lois. 
Lois began seeing Dr. Colbert about 20 years earlier for mild arthritis. She was placed on anti-inflammatory medications, and suddenly she began to get worse. No matter what Dr. Colbert would give her, her symptoms just got worse. And so, as was his habit, he began to ask her questions about her emotional life, and he discovered that Lois had recently been through a nasty divorce. She was married to a man who was incredibly wealthy, but he left her for a much younger woman, and all of a sudden, she found herself uh, not driving her Mercedes, but driving a clunker. She went from living in a mansion to living in a one-bedroom apartment. It absolutely ruined her life. This sweet little lady, Lois, she couldn't even say her husband's name without turning into a completely different person. She would kind of snarl and a deep voice would come up and her eyes would roll back in her head and she would begin to talk about how that she wanted to destroy her husband. She even at one point talked about killing him. Lois had so much ammunition and no matter how much Dr. Colbert told her that this was affecting her life, she just wouldn't stop. She kept firing her bitter bullets, but it had the boomerang effect. You know what I'm talking about? See, bitterness is this. Bitterness is drinking poison and then hoping that somebody else dies. That's what was happening with Lois. Every time she would fire out a bullet, it would swing back around, and it wasn't hitting her husband or her former husband. It was hitting her. Dr. Colbert was helpless as he watched this toxic resentment destroy Lois, literally right before her eyes, and eventually reliving the worst moment of her life, took her life. Of all the destructive emotions that we deal with, bitterness might be the most powerful one. It does the most damage in the shortest amount of time. And and, and it's so deceptive, isn't it? I mean, after all, Pastor Doug, you know, you hurt me once, shame on me. You hurt me twice, man. I'm going to put you on a list, right? And I'm going to protect myself. Seems smart to keep an emotional record inside of us, of all those that have hurt us, and even to punch back. We have a right to protect ourselves, right? Problem is that there is nothing protective or productive about bitterness. It's always bondage every single time. This is not some of the time, but it is all of the time true. There are no prizes given at the lonely end of the road of of a bitter life. You know what bitterness is? Bitterness is an exercise of the free will that will never lead to freedom. You say, Pastor Doug, I don't understand that because I I don't really have a choice. I can't help the way that I feel. No, you can't help what somebody does to you, but you can help what you do with what somebody does to you. Amen? I, I like to say it like this. You either get to choose a victimology or you get to choose a theology. A theology is what God thinks. A victimology is ordering your life according to what happened to you. I don't know about you, but I don't want to order my life according to what happens to me. I want to order my life according to what God has said about me. Amen? I will not choose a victimology. I will choose a theology. And God has a way of forming us. And that way of forming us is often at odds with our personal way of defending ourselves. I know in my life, as much as I don't want to relive it, God has used every hurt, every hurtful situation, every single pain that another person has ever brought into my life has been a part of the discipleship process of my life. The fact is, is bitterness is really one of the most hypocritical choices 
that we can ever make as a Christian. Bitterness and unforgiveness is anti-Christian. Do you know that you know, nothing is less like Christ than unforgiveness? Because our God is a forgiver, amen? How many of you are Christians here today? Anybody a Christian out there? You know why you're a Christian? Not because you were just suddenly the chosen one or you passed some kind of test. We are not perfect people. We're forgiven people. Amen? The reason why we are Christ's followers is because of the forgiveness of Christ. And yet, so many of us, we practice this unforgiveness on a regular basis. I see it all the time in our churches. I even sometimes see it with leaders where they are trying to hold unforgiveness against somebody while they are trying to walk in the forgiveness of God at the same time. And it is absolutely diametrically impossible. Well, Jesus actually gives us one of the greatest examples of this in Scripture in the form of a parable. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, and I won't, I won't break this down too much for the sake of time, but Jesus tells a parable called the parable of the unforgiving servant. Now, the parables of the Bible, they are the truth bombs of Scripture, and they are, they are places where Jesus are, is typically not telling a true story, but he is using hyperbole or extreme exaggeration to make a point about the character of God or about life. And he says this, he says, then Jesus, or excuse me, then Peter came to Jesus and said, look, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times? Now, and I want you to understand something here. Peter thinks he's being generous. Peter thinks that, you know what, the ordinary person, he might forgive you once or twice, but I'm willing to forgive up to seven times. I really believe Peter thinks he's going to get a compliment right now, but that's not what he gets. Jesus said to him, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, don't get out your calculator and say, well, it's 490. Now, what Jesus is saying is you breathe in my forgiveness, and then you breathe out forgiveness to other people. In other words, this is hyperbole, this is extreme exaggeration to make a point about the character of God and how we ought to live. I think what Jesus is saying is that forgiveness sometimes is a process. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have been hurt so many times I needed all, hundred, all 490. <laughs> and he, then Jesus tells us this. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven... It's like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. Now, now think massive amount. Think gross national debt. I mean, it is so big that you, if you had 100 lifetimes, you couldn't pay this off. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and his wife and his children and all he had in payment be made. And the servant, therefore, fell down in front of him and asked him, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Impossible. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, and he released him and forgave his debt. The servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Think like a couple of bucks. I mean, I mean, it's basically it's a day's wage, is what it is. It's like he bought him a Starbucks and he forgot to pay him back. And he laid his hands on him and he took him by the throat, saying, "Pay me all that you owe." Hypocrisy. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Do you get the story? He's just been forgiven the gross national debt. This guy owes him a few dollars, and he won't, won't forgive him. The Bible says he would not, but he threw him in prison till he should pay his debt. 
So when the fellow servant saw all that he'd done, he was very grieved, and he came and he told his master what had been done. And then his master, after he had called unto him, said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debts that you begged me. Should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry. Unforgiveness upsets God. And he delivered him to the tortures that she should be paid what was due to him. And so, everybody say so. It's one of the scariest words in all of Scripture right there. So, my heavenly Father also will do to you if from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. I really hope Jesus is just exaggerating because we might be in trouble. (laughs) This guy, it's like he had short-term memory disorder. He has just been forgiven the gross national debt, if you will, And he goes out, and just a few moments later, he forgets what has happened, and he refuses to forgive. You know, memory is a powerful thing. It is a gift from God. The Bible tells us over 200 times that we are to remember. I I don't know about you. I have a habit, seemingly, to forget the things that I should remember and to remember the things that I should forget. Experts tell us that we have selective memory. We tend to remember things that are emotional, that are unusual, and that are meaningful. In this particular story, it is all three. I mean, you know, it was emotional. This debt was about to cost him his family and his freedom, and now he is suddenly extravagantly forgiven. If I paid off all your debt right now, who would be emotional, amen? This is a big deal. This is emotional. It was unusual. The Bible says that he owed, in the NIV, 10,000 bags of gold. In the New Living, it says he owed millions and millions. This was an an, an unforgivable, insurmountable debt, and yet he was forgiven. It was unusual, and it was meaningful. This was a fresh start. It was freedom. It was probably the greatest moment of his life, and yet he forgets, and he so easily has unforgiveness towards others. Now, 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 I want to just do the math for you for just a second, okay? A talent is worth 6,000 denarii, and this man owed 10,000 talents. That means the man was forgiven a debt. You just have to trust my numbers here. That was 60,000 times larger than the one he refused to forgive. (laughs) Bitterness and hypocrisy are always partners, aren't they? Especially in the life of a Christian. I want you to think about it for just a minute. How many sins have you committed in your lifetime? Uh, I, let's, just, let's just jazz it up a little bit. And let's say we took your sins, your sins. You'd say this is the weirdest church ever. I'm never coming back. But we took your sins and we put them up on the big screen. And we just maybe at a clip of about one per second. I'm not just talking about the, the sins of commission, but let's say the sins of omission as well stuff you're supposed to do, but you didn't do it, even get into the private realm of the heart, like jealousy, things like that. How how many of you think we'd be here a while watching the screen? Is there anybody else other than me? You better get some lunch if it's it's my stuff, man. I can tell you right now because we're going to be here a while. Because I don't know about you, but I have been forgiven the gross national debt of sin, amen? God has forgiven so much sin in my life because I am the king of sinners, my friend, and God has forgiven it all. (laughs) But you don't understand, Pastor Doug. I mean, she didn't even say hi to me in the hallway. Just kind of rings hollow, doesn't it? (laughs) 
I think there's really three major realizations that we must have from our text very quickly. The first one is this, is that we are inexcusably irrational when it comes to the forgiveness of sin. We have been forgiven mountains of debt, and yet we monitor virtually every infraction against us. The obvious lesson of our text is that unforgiveness is hypocrisy. Unforgiveness or bitterness is actually irrationality at the highest order. We are never or you are never justified when you hold grudges or lack relational grace. You say, what about? No, no, it's never. Amen? Because how many of you know God forgave it all for you? Amen? You're never justified, I don't care what the situation is, you are never justified when you hold grudges or lack relational grace. Now, you might need all 490 to get the forgiveness for real, but you're never justified when you just stop trying. You know, it's interesting because uh, I've been doing this for a little while. I got saved when I was 16 years old, Uh, did not grow up in church. My best friend invited me to church. He actually lied to me, told me there would be girls there that would like me. That's how he got me to go. Gave up a ticket to a rock concert, uh, Van Halen and Sammy Hagar, rock on. And I, and I went to church, and I heard about the love of God, and I got saved. And, and, and I know, you know, I know I'm a hunk of man this morning, but, but uh, uh, you know, back in the day, if you were to look at me, you'd just go, I don't, I don't think there's any potential there, man. I mean, that, I had no self-worth, was suicidal, it just messed up. I come from this big, broken family, and and... Anyway, I got saved, went to Bible college, and now God is, you know, I've been all over the world sharing the gospel. And, and uh, well, anyway, uh, uh, my wife and I, we got together in our mid, uh, uh, her, her mid-20s, and I, I, she's, she's a couple years older than me. And uh, just wanted to remind her of that from the pulpit this morning. I have no idea why. Uh, but uh, <laughs> there you go, just helping her out. To, so, so anyway, uh, in about my mid-30s, I got asked to go back to the church that I got saved at and do a series of meetings. And it, was, it was pretty neat. It was going back home, and I could take you to the spot on the carpet where I gave my heart to Christ, and this kid that had gotten saved from nowhere, and, and, and it was awesome, man. Every service was incredible. And, and anyway, I think it was Tuesday night that we decided to go out to eat with a bunch of people that I'd went to high school with, that I'd went to church with, and, and there was about 20 of us in the restaurant, and a friend of ours was down on the other end of the table, and Jeannie was down there, and I was down on the other end with the guys. And I don't know what was happening, but apparently the friend looked at Jeannie, and she said, uh, she said, Jeannie, she said, I owe you some forgiveness. I owe Doug some forgiveness. I, I, I need to ask for your forgiveness. And, and, uh, and Jeannie said, well, why? What's wrong? And she said, well, we just didn't see it. And she started crying. And she said, so what do you mean? You, didn't say, well, you know, when Doug first started coming to the church, I mean, I mean, maybe he didn't know it. I actually did know it. But said we all made fun of him because the way he looked and the way he acted and whatever. And we just didn't see it. And, 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 and now look at what God is doing through him. And, and we're just so embarrassed. And she asked for forgiveness. And, of course, Jeannie was gracious. And that ni- Later that night, we were heading to the hotel, and we stopped in front of a gas station and and Jeannie said to me, she said, honey, she told me what happened. She said, honey, back in, back in when we first got married and you started taking me to this church and you would, show, you would introduce me to your, quote, friends, she said, I saw how they disrespected you. She said, don't you remember even 10 years ago, I was telling you these are not really your friends. They're disrespecting you, and you would never stand up for yourself. And now I hear this. She said, she said I just want to understand. She said, of course we'll forgive them, but how come you put up with this stuff? Why did you never defend yourself? 
I, I didn't really have an answer. I just said, well, let me go in here. I'll get us some drinks. I'll, I'll, I'll come back. And, and I came out, and I looked at Jeannie, and I said, uh, and, I, and I think this just came right from my spirit, not from my mind. I said to her, I said, well, honey, I don't want you to feel like I was stupid. I knew that they were making fun of me, but I was just so happy to be invited to the party. I was just so happy to be a part of a church and experience grace that, you know what, I, I just didn't care. I had received so much forgiveness that I decided I would just forgive, and they, they didn't even have to ask for it. I would just forgive. I mean, you know, God has a way of bringing that stuff back around. And then I said to her this phrase, I said, I knew two plus two equaled four, but I just decided that I would never do the math. Instead, I would hand my calculator, if you will, to God, and I would say, you're in charge of the math, amen? You, you know, this is a strange illustration, but I think this is the way we, we are. Well, Pastor Dennis, man, he walked by me in the hallway he didn't even look at me or say hi or anything. He hates me. I can see it. It's right here in the math. I'm telling you, two plus two equals he hates me. And, and what? Well, you know what? She always does that. You see what I'm saying? What if you decided that you would give the equal key on your calculator to God? Amen? Because let me just give you a clue. Half the time you're wrong, amen, he was just busy or something, right? And the other half of the time, you're wrong too because it's your responsibility to forgive, amen? And how many of you know God has keys on his calculator that you don't have on yours? God has a way 10 years later of making people cry in a restaurant and asking for forgiveness, amen? God has a way of bringing stuff back around. What if we just decided that our relational situation would be ruled not by our own flawed mentality, but it would be ruled, ruled by an attitude of the grace of God? Number two, God takes the forgiveness of others very seriously. The latter part of our text is really quite scary. The man who lacked forgiveness ends up in jail being tortured. And the debt that he had previously been forgiven was all placed back on him with interest. <laughs> Matthew 18, 35, maybe the scariest verse of all the Bible. So my heavenly father will also do to you if from your heart you do not also forgive his brother your trespasses or the tr his trespasses. I, I, for one, again, hope that Jesus was just exaggerating. But according to our text, we can extrapolate this without much struggle. A lack of forgiveness prompts judgment in the heart of God. Now, other passages are absolutely just as scary. I'm just going to quote from Jesus, let alone the rest of the Bible. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus said, Forgive us our sins as, everybody say as, we have forgiven those who sin against us. Mark eleven twenty five. when you are praying, first forgive, everybody say first forgive, Anyone who holds a grudge against you so that your heavenly father will forgive your sins too. Luke 6, 37. Again, this is just the words of Jesus. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Now, this is heavy stuff. And it gets into the realm of theology. And, and I can tell you I'm a grace guy. I, I mean, I'm telling you, I, I, I so believe in the grace of God, but, but I really think Jesus is sort of already there. In other words, according to Jesus, 
if you cry out to God for forgiveness, but you have unforgiveness against your brother or your sister, there is a problem in your request. God somehow holds back his forgiveness for us if we hold back our forgiveness for other people. Wow. We cannot intentionally be fractured with people and be relationally healthy with God at the same time. Wrongness with man will eventually sabotage your relationship with God. Now, in the Old Testament, they had something called the Day of Atonement. This is interesting to think about because this concept is even in the Old Testament. The Bible tells us on this Day of Atonement that God would take the sins of the people and he would place it on an animal. The Day of Atonement was a big deal with lots of festivals and all kinds of things, and it was looking forward to the cross. You may not know this, but you can study it out. Did you know that 10 days before the Day of Atonement, those 10 days were designed for you to go out and to get all your relationships with people right? A lot of big things would happen. You would forgive debt if it had been more than seven years. There was even something called the year of Jubilee that every 50 years, all the debt would be forgiven. In other words, for 10 days, you were to go out and you were to systematically get right in all of your horizontal relationships because you were about to ask God for forgiveness in your vertical relationship with him. Amen. What if you just decided, Pastor Doug, I'm going to take 10 days, 10 days from this service. And I am systematically going to ask the Holy Spirit to show me. And a lot of us won't even have to ask because it's real obvious who we've got bitterness against. And I'm going to write that letter and I'm going to make that call and I'm going to make that appointment. And I'm not going to go one more day. I've done funerals where people held on to it all the way to the end. They couldn't even remember what happened. They just knew they were mad. What if you decided you would systematically go through and you would say, I want to be right with man so that I can be fully right with God. I can promise you it would revolutionize not just your walk with God, but it would revolutionize you as a person. Finally, the last one, and we're done, is that your well-being is affected by bitterness. Uh, You think about this story. The man, he could have celebrated. The man could have had peace. The man could have could have created a national holiday for his family the day that the gross national debt of our lives was forgiven. He could have forgave. But instead, he caused himself and everybody around him to have turmoil that is undescribable. You cannot separate your spiritual health, your emotional health, and your physical health. You are a connected system. Do you you ever notice that people that are unforgivers, that they never use little finish brushes? They never say, well, this little situation happened and I'm upset about it. No, people that really are unforgivers, they always use either a sprayer or I've got up here a paint roller. You know what? That man hurt me and all men are that way. You ever hear anybody ever hear that? I went to that church and man, every church is that way. I'm giving up on church. No, no, no. You went to a bad one, <laughs> but not all churches are that way, right? But people that have unforgiveness, they tend to just kind of spray it out and all of a sudden... You know, they become super cautious, and it affects all of their relationships. I actually have a pastor friend that I preached for several times. He was pastoring a great church in New York, and suddenly uh, he got hurt. He had grown the church, Pastor Dennis, from 300 to 700, did a great job. And then the board, like they had done against the last three pastors, rose up against him and kicked him and his family out of the church, destroyed the church, destroyed him. I was calling him on a regular basis and trying to, you know, see if I could be a help. But he, he, had the, 
he had the uh, sprayer thing going on. You know, all churches are that way, and I'll never put myself under a board again. And just he just he was inconsolable. This went on for several months, and finally one day I was on the phone with him, and I said to my friend, I said, uh, I, I just kind of got upset at him, and I said, I said, you know what your problem is? And he's like, what's my problem? He's starting to get mad at me. I said, your problem is you keep swallowing the seeds of your hurt. And here's his exact quote. He said, don't use your illustration mumbo-jumbo on me. I can't believe you're saying that. And then finally he said, he said well, what do you mean by that? And I said, well... When I was growing up, and this is a small one here, but when I was growing up, my grandfather used to tell me that when you eat the seeds of watermelon, anybody want to finish this quote for me? This is the universal lie. I have done this illustration in foreign countries, and they yell back at me in other languages that this, this is the lie we tell to our kids, right? If you eat the seeds of watermelon, then the watermelons are going to grow inside of you. Now, as a little kid, I, I would always uh, have, this, have this weird image because I thought that would be kind of cool, but then I didn't want it to happen because I could not imagine the coming out process. I just didn't want to be a part of that. <laughs> I said this to my friend, and I got him laughing a little bit because laughter brings vulnerability. And then I, said, then I said, you know, when you get hurt, when that board hurts you, it was a little bit like they stuffed a big piece of watermelon in your mouth and you weren't expecting it. And it's your responsibility to chew it up for all it's worth. Because how many of you know there is nutrition there? When somebody hurts you, God can use that pain. He can use that pain. He can bring brokenness. In fact, I can tell you where the anointing comes from is processing your pain properly. He said it's your job to process that. But then, my friend, you're skipping the step. You refuse to, to spit out the seeds. And when you refuse to spit out the seed, you know what you get? You get a forest, right? A forest of bitterness. You get a root system growing up. And it doesn't just corrupt you, but it corrupts everybody around you. The good news is we serve a Savior, amen, who knows how to cut down that forest and plant a new beautiful garden of his grace. That's what he would love to do in your life. Not sure where I'm at on time, but I just want to close with one simple story. Uh, I've been doing this for a while, and uh, about about probably 18, 19 years ago, I, I got asked to speak at the National Youth Convention for the state of Wyoming, and I went, and it was it was one of the first ones I had ever done, and and I had just a great time. But it was the end of my year, and uh, <laughs> it was the, it was mid December. And I, I was going home, and I was going to have a couple weeks of rest, but I had, I had preached about 300 times that year and put down a lot of miles, and, and I was tired. And, and I went, and I did the event, not out of my strength, but out of my weakness, and I felt like it was the best ministry I'd had all year. And then the, then the, uh, the district youth director there in the Assemblies of God, they'll have, some, they'll have a youth director over the state. He took me to the uh, airport, and he did the two things that every guest speaker evangelist wants, wants to happen. He gave me a nice, nice check. And then he asked me if I would come back and do the event again next year. And I thought, man, that's a win. You know, that's what I wanted, man. It's awesome. I'm going home with a check, and I got invited to come back, and he complimented me. And, and anyway, I, uh, I headed home, and I, and, I, and I was home overnight, and I got a phone call from the district youth director here in Missouri, who's a friend of mine. And he said, Doug, have you seen the email? And I said, what, what, what email? And he said, meet me at a restaurant. And I, and I went, and I met him, and the district youth directors, I didn't know this at the time, but they had what they called a chat line. And there's about 60 of them in America, in the, in the United States. And, 
And when a speaker like me goes in to speak, they, they, they say, well, he did a good job or don't ever have that guy or whatever. Well, the guy that had just complimented me at the airport sent out a two-page email filled with lies overnight, by the way, about me. He said that I did things that I didn't do, that I said things that I didn't say. And, and my thought was, if you thought all these things, why in the world would you ask me to come back next year? Why would you compliment me and give me a check? And yet he did. And, I, and my friend, he shouldn't have done it, but he, he literally slid the letter across the table and I got to read it. And man, have you ever just been sucker punched so bad that you just don't know what to do with it? You know, it's like, like I, I, and I was tired, I was vulnerable. Man, I sat in that restaurant and I cried. And my friend said to me, he said, well, what, what are you going to do, Doug? And, I, and I, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you what I said, but I said, you know what I'm going to do? He said, what? I said, this, this guy, he thinks he knows some people. I know some stinking people. He thinks he can send out an email on me. I'm going to send out an email on him. And I left that restaurant, and I took that letter. And Pastor Dennis, you would have been so proud of me, man. It was, it was like an episode of Law and Order or something, man. I, 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 dis, I dissected that sucker, and I, I mean, I defended every point. I was like a defense attorney. I, I wrote like a 14-page rebuttal to his email, and I was about to send it out to every person I've ever met. And then I thought, well, I better ask for some advice. And so I called a spiritual mentor of mine, a pastor friend, and, and, I, and I read both uh, the letter and the email. He was very patient. And then I said, what do you, what, what do you, what do you think? And I thought he was going to say, wow, you should have been a lawyer or something. That's not what he said. He said, Doug, don't do it. And I said, what do you mean? He said, Doug, don't do it. I said, I said, what do you mean, man? I am a, I'm a red-blooded American man, and this guy is messing with my business, and it is my God-given right to defend myself. And he said, no, no, you got that wrong. He said, you're called, and if you're called, then you have a defender, and his name is Jesus, Amen. And then my friend said to me, he said, the level you defend yourself will only decrease the level that God defends you. He said, do you want to defend you or do you want God to defend you? And I hung up the phone. I was about to send out a letter on him. I was getting mad. And after about 45 minutes of prayer and a moment of brokenness, I tore up that email. And I tore up the one that he had sent me. And I wrote the best handwritten thank you note I've ever written. And I put a $25 Starbucks card in it sent it off like I never knew anything. And you know what happened? Absolutely nothing. Nothing happened. Literally, I went all through the holiday, went all through January, and the whole time I'm thinking there's this poison out there that is literally around the nation about me. And, and people are never going to want me to speak again, and God won't even let me defend myself. And, and that's it. I mean, there, there goes my ministry. Thank you for not letting me defend myself. And finally, about mid-February, I got a phone call. And it was from the district youth director in Oklahoma. And he said, Doug, he goes, I saw that email. And I said, yeah. I said, I saw it too. He said, you know what? I'm on your side. I didn't even know I had a side. And he said, uh, he said yeah, man, we kind of on the chat line have been talking about you lately. And, and he said about half of the guys think you did it, and about half of the guys don't think you did it. I don't think you did it, but we all agree that this is not the way we should treat people in the body of Christ. And so since I'm on your side, I just want to book you for a couple of events while I've got you on the phone. 
About a week later, the guy from Minnesota called me. About a week after that, the guy from Wisconsin called me. And before I knew it, my calendar started filling up, not in spite of the controversy, but because of the controversy. Amen? How many of you think God knows what he's doing? Amen? And then finally, about four weeks after that, the district youth director from Wyoming called me, and he said, I don't know what I was thinking. Please forgive me. And I said, dude, you were forgiven three months ago. I said, don't even worry about it. And I have no idea where he's at today, but I know where I'm at today. I'm standing in the grace of God. Amen? And I can promise you this morning that that same forgiveness that God flows into you on a daily, sometimes with me it seems to be an hourly basis, he wants that same forgiveness to flow out of you. Amen? I want you to stand to your feet all throughout the auditorium this morning. Thank you so much for, uh, for, for listening so patiently and just being involved. How many of you think we got a good God? Amen? Come on. Come on. Let's pray together. Just lift your hands and let me pray over you this morning. Father, right now in Jesus' name. I pray that even right now that your Holy Spirit would begin to make serious application of this word that has been shared this morning. I pray, God, that the poison of bitterness would begin to flow out of the lives of people and it would be replaced with a beautiful garden of your grace. Come on, I want you to pray this with me. And, and let's, let's, let's just right there under our breath, you can just kind of pray it. Just say, Jesus forgive me for unforgiveness <laughs> and right now come on just say this under your breath and you can whisper it or whatever just say I forgive come on one more time I forgive let's do it do it a little different I forgive and then I want you to mention the name or the situation or, or give a reference to what you're talking about I Give. Say the name. Say the situation. Heal me. Cause that bitterness to get out of me. Do a work of restoration in me. In Jesus' mighty name. Father, I pray that over this church corporately. God, I pray that there would be such a oneness and such a unity that this place would not be known for perfection, but it would be known for forgiveness. And, and when people walk in, they would never see or feel tension between the body. But instead, there would be such relational health that, 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 that there would be an attractability about that that people could, could not help but want to be a part of. And we believe you for this. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I would be remiss if I didn't give an opportunity. How many of you would just say, you know, Pastor Doug, I want to live the kind of life you're talking about. But for me, it's got to start with God doing some forgiveness inside of me. Maybe you came to church today and say, I don't even know if I'm really right with God. I don't know if I've really experienced this grace that you're talking about. Well, I want to pray with you before I leave. Is there anybody this morning that would just lift a hand and say, man, that's me. I need to experience the forgiveness and the grace of God all throughout the room. Come on, let's just pray this one last prayer together. Dear Jesus, saw several hands. Come on, dear Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross. You rose from the dead. You did that for me. I receive your forgiveness today. I throw myself on your mercy. In Jesus' name, everybody said, let's give God a good hand clap this morning. Isn't he a good God? Well, listen again, it's been a joy to be with you this weekend, and uh, this is my only service with you this time, 
And uh, if you like what you, ta- what you heard this morning, you say, Pastor Doug, you know, I really know somebody that needs that. Uh, I actually did a series a while back called The Healthy Life. And a longer version of the message that I just shared is, is here on this series. And if you know somebody that needs to hear that, there's also worry, depression, insecurity. It deals with that on there as well. Uh, this is our bestseller. It's called The Restored Life. It's, our, uh, it's really the story of my restoration. And if you uh, missed the marriage retreat this weekend, I've got some material out there that's similar to what I did. Thanks again for the opportunity. We hope to see you at the table. And I hope to see you in Jamaica. Amen. I would love to see a big team come out of your church. God bless you guys. Let's give it up again for our pastor.